Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Athlete Ready Global Podcast. I am your host, Jared Saavedra. In today's episode, I have Mr. Jerome Maldonado. Jerome began his career as a personal trainer and made the transition into real estate full-time. So if you are looking for a potential side hustle or have always been interested in real estate investing, grab a pen and paper and be ready to write down some nuggets. Here we go. Hey everyone, and welcome to season two of the Athlete Ready Global podcast. This season is going to be straight fire. It is not going to be limited to just strength conditioning coaches and fitness professionals, but we're going to have sport coaches on here, medical doctors, financial advisors, digital marketers, you name it, we'll probably have them on. I really believe that you're going to enjoy these next 10 episodes. Again, our goal is to help equip fitness and strength professionals in their careers in areas that promote career longevity, financial freedom, etc. As you know, the Athlete Ready Global podcast is powered by the online training software, Athlete Ready Global, which helps personal trainers and strength and conditioning coaches save more time, coach more people, build more freedom, and make more money. With nearly 400 business marketing and training resources and a deep exercise library, and also a ton of features that allow coaches and trainers to deliver world-class programming remotely. This platform has it all. Now, on to our next episode. Jerome, thank you so much for joining me on the Athlete Ready Global Podcast, man. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it, and I'm excited to be here with you today. Absolutely. So, tell for the listeners, and, and I've talked to you before a little bit about who our, you know, our market is and who really listens to this podcast, and it is personal trainers, strength conditioning coaches, fitness entrepreneurs. So for all of those people, and I know you're, you're you know, a professional in real estate, tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got started in this industry, all those good things. Sounds good, Jared. Thank you. Um, you know, it's funny. I never really considered myself a real estate person until I got into the space and realized that, you know, since the majority of our companies revolve around the real estate game, um, people really advocated in regards to the knowledge that we had in, um, in real estate but I've really just been an entrepreneur. You know, we, I started in business back in 1993, um, right, out of, right out of high school until I was in college. Um, I was a personal trainer, so I was in the fitness oh, wow. stuff. I got oh, a man. degree in, in nutrition and dietetics, and, um, okay. and I love that space. In fact, how I became an entrepreneur was I answered an ad in the one ads looking to work in a gym over the summer. I was competing in bodybuilding at the time and wrestling in college, and, uh, and I land, ended up getting involved in direct sales and network marketing. And it was my first introduction to entrepreneurship. And I rode the roller coaster of entrepreneurship for about two and a half, three years, went through my ups and downs, my failures. And when I finally stabilized in business, um, Jared, one of the things that I knew about real estate and not knowing much at all was that I could own an asset and it would protect my money better than anything else out there. And so I started investing some of the capital that I started making in my business in real estate. Um, so that I didn't have to ride that roller coaster, that up and down deal anymore. And lo and behold, here I sit over 20 plus years later, and one of our biggest holdings now is real estate. And it's been one of the most um, uh, precious blessings that we've had in regards to stabilizing our financial um, future and our assets. And um, and now, I, you know, with all the holdings that we've accumulated over the years, um, people have come to us 
and um, as a real estate professional. And so lo and behold, not even knowing that I was really working in this direction, here I sit 25 years later. So that's awesome. So that's funny because I had no idea that your background was was first in you know personal training and nutrition. I didn't have no idea about that. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Where did you get kind of your your financial education when it came to real estate investing? Like where where did it come from? I it comes from 100% from the school of hard knocks. I I I bought a rental home just like anybody would go out and buy a, a rental home, and um, I bought a second home that I ended up living in. And I ran my business out of my home and my neighbors took me to court and um, were trying to get me expunged from my own piece of real estate to not run my business out of there. So I knew that my the clock was ticking in regards to how long I could run my business there because I was just burning time going to court, fighting the system um, in my 20s. And so I started seeking out commercial real estate. Well, when I was in network marketing, Jared, I was a. Uh, I found, we were working out of what we call training centers, and um, I, I found it easier to rent desk space in my offices in order to pay for the lease of that office. And I started making money off the, the, the uh, desk holders in my office more, more so than I was making off my distributorships. And so I learned the real estate game from renting desk space and network marketing as opposed to the real game of network marketing at first. And so... I used the same concept when I got into business and I said, you know, I'm not going to pay for a building. I'm not going to pay rent to anybody. I'm going to go find a building that has multiple units. I'm going to fix it up and I'm going to lease them to other people, let other people uh, pay for my building for me. And so as simple as that might sound, it was that stupid, simple concept that I had in my mind because of my experience through running training centers and direct sales and network marketing that I said, I'll just apply the same concept. I'll take a small office space. I'll, have, I'll use the utility yard for my trucks and equipment, and I'll lease the rest of it out, and I'll let it pay for itself. And that stupid little concept bought me my first building on a real estate contract, and it worked. I remember my dad going over there with me. He goes, well, what happens if you don't lease it out? I, I looked at him. I go, I, really, I never really thought about that because I'll lease it. You know, My confidence was high enough that I knew I could lease it. Um, I, I bought the building modest enough, and it was trashed when I bought it. I knew I could renovate it. And so when I was all all in to the property, I was probably three hundred fifty thousand into the property. Paid about two fifty, I believe, for it. Put about seventy to a hundred thousand dollars into it, and the building looked brand new. It leased really fast, and I had success. And from that one building, I started multiplying and duplicating that that process. And um, it got into developing our own properties. It got into developing land. My confidence went up. And so I always tell people, getting involved in real estate is really just about having a little bit of success. And it's like that with anything in business. Um, small wins are big long-term because you just don't know what that small win is going to turn into. And it's really just building those baby steps of confidence that really turn into something big and dynamic over the course of time that you may not even expect. Because I didn't expect to be here in real estate right now, Jared. I mean, I, I would have never guessed that this would have been the, uh, the path life would have taken me on if you would have asked me 25 years ago. So for, for people listening, I mean, what, what have the benefits been going into real estate for yourself, for your family, the freedom that it's allowed you? Uh, what are some of the benefits that you, I mean, obviously are, are all from the fruits of your labor? Yeah, yeah and I am. You know, we, uh, we built everything off of sweat equity. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the benefits of it have been one cash flow. Um, you know, you get to a point as an entrepreneur where you just like anybody in, in any traditional business, um, enough's enough, you know, and being an entrepreneur, it's hard. It's a hard way of life. 
Um, I don't know that any entrepreneur, when they first get into it, really think that there's going to be as many trials and tribulations, ups and downs that they go through. But every one of them that I know have encountered opposition of some sort to some magnitude. And one thing that's great about real estate is even through some of the trials and tribulations that we've went through through the recession and um, individual property challenges that we've had, the winds have out out earned the losses in regards to um, the stress that's been involved with it. And really the cash flow from multiple unit real estate is really been the biggest thing because you can see an end to your game, right? And all people always ask, well, when's enough enough? And I said, well, enough's enough is when I decided to just turn it off at this point in time. I know that we have enough real estate, enough cash flow that if I turned it off yesterday, we can live forever, Jared, without any issues financially. And we can live very independently and at an upper level of a social economic class because of what real estate has done for us in regards to cash flow and residual income. And um, it got us to a point where we don't even manage our largest assets anymore. We have management companies. So really, it's hands off, stress free. Um, although we do still manage some of our smaller properties, um, we can turn it all off and be fine in regards to our cash flow. And never have to work again. And so if people really truly want to retire, it's one of the best ways that you can retire with your hands off and really be able to do what you enjoy in life, although we continue to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. How has the experience been working with property managers? Has it been better than what you thought going in or, you know, giving the responsibilities to other people? That scares a lot of people um, to be able to, to delegate those tasks for, you know, for others. What was the experience like for you? So that's a great question, Jared, and I'll tell you, because it's been a process like everything. Uh-huh. Um, so my, my first experience with property managers was in 2010. Um, we managed everything 100% till 2010. Then we really started getting into the Phoenix uh, area. And in 2010, we decided, okay, I can't be up here all the time. My son was two years old. I didn't want to commit to having to manage properties um, away from where I lived. And I hired a property management company then another, then another. And they stole, you know, we ran into the same issues a lot of people have, trust issues, them stealing from us in regards to tenant improvement stuff, um, poaching parts from one air conditioner to another. And we went through all of it, the accounting issues, we had an audit. So there was a, uh, there was a learning curve for sure. And what I learned is that small numbers in real estate compromised your ability to um, have a good property management company. So with that being said, what ended up happening is we we landed up hiring the wrong companies because the good companies, the big companies wouldn't manage small properties. And it was my turning point where I said, okay, I've got to get big enough for the bigger companies to be attractive, for me to be attractive to them. And so at that point in time, it was like a little game changer because we did finally find a small property management company that would handle um, the day-to-day operations on small properties for us, but we also understood that it was a game changer in regards to make getting to a next level where we had enough units where bigger companies wanted to manage for us. So now what happens is once you get big enough, Jared, what lands up happening is companies want to acquire your stuff because they want to work with you because it's, it's an advantage to them. And so when you have enough units, it's hands off. And then they have to play by the same game everybody else does. The small property management companies, they don't because they're managing small, petty properties. So their accounting is different. They don't have all the systems set in place that the CBRE guys have, that the large um, 
management companies utilize day in, day out. And so their accounting is not up to par like some of the big guys. And so my advice to people is, one, do your homework. Find The biggest thing that you're looking for is you're looking for a reputable company that's honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want somebody that's personable that you like. Because if you don't have those two things when you're small, you're going to have issues with property management. And in the beginning, it is good for you to manage your own property because it teaches you a little bit about the construction game. It teaches you a little bit about the accounting and the management game. And so as much as some people don't want to have to manage anything at all, it's important for them to know at least a little bit of it in the early early interim time until you hand it off to somebody else. But just make sure that you really, really interview the management companies that you're working with so that you don't go through some of what we went through. You know, we went on a base a lot of trust. Good yeah. points. I mean, that's kind of the hardest thing in, in any business is building the team. Um, it is. Uh, yeah, especially, you know, even in the gym set, setting, that's definitely de- definitely the most difficult part of the entire business is, is building, getting the right people in the right, pl- place, right place, essentially, for sure. So how would you how would you tell someone, you know, how, you know, if they asked you, how do I get my feet wet in real estate investing? What are some of the ways, what are some strategies that you would tell them? You know, when people think of, you know, investing in real estate, I don't think they really understand all of the ways that you can develop income streams. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about the different ways that you can build a, a diverse portfolio with it. Sure. And so people need to um, educate themselves first. And I say start small and simple. Um, mm-hmm. I think people see everybody growing in mass quantities and it doesn't happen like that overnight unless you have larger holdings. And if you have larger holdings and you want to lose them, you need to partner with somebody you trust that um, has information and knowledge that you don't have. Because what's scary about people with money but lack of knowledge is that a lot of times they invest in things because they have the capital, but it doesn't mean that they have the knowledge to invest it correctly. So if you have money but no knowledge, take it slow still, even if you have, um, just like the person with it doesn't have money. In fact, it's almost, Jared, advantageous when people don't have much capital because then they're forced to take it slow. And um, and when you're forced to take it slow, it's good because it'll teach you how to go out and educate yourself slowly. So I always advise people, take small steps first, invest, have small wins, and you're going to run into problems. It's inevitable. And those problems are good when you have small deals because then they're not financially encumbrancing to you. You won't lose. Um, But even single family, a single, just one small win is good. Um, I'm a multi-unit guy. I love multi-units. They don't scare me, but even just fighting off a small building, um, retail was always good for us. And retail is dying, Jared, but there'll always be a need for small retail. So if you have a small building in your backyard, there's always going to be a need for a barbershop. There's always going to be a need for a beauty salon. There's always going to be a need for a little juice bar. There's always going to be a need for a little restaurant, eatery, catering places. Um, all of those service-oriented businesses need a, a place. You know, your small local insurance agent needs a place to house his business. The small little accountant. And so little buildings are good. I still like them. We still own them today. Large retail is bad. Don't get into that. Um, but small unit retail is a good little place to put your money. You know, if you can buy a little 8,000-square-foot building for under $300,000, get anywhere from $1,200 to $1,500 a month in rental income, with four or five units, you can make $80,000 a year gross on a property like that. And after you pay everything, uh, all your your payments and everything on it, if it's renovated right and you're leasing it right, you can make $40,000 a year in cash flow, even while you're paying your building down. 
which awesome. is great. You know? so, what's, so what's the difference of qualifying for like a residential property compared to like, a, you know, a commercial property like you're talking about? So there's, there's two different ways to, uh, to qualify for commercial property. If you're a small business owner and you yourself own a business, let's say you're a dentist or a small phys- a physician, or if you own a plumbing company or a tile company, or if you um, or a gym. own a, or yeah. a gym, yeah, mm-hmm. any of that stuff, you got to think different, you know, and a lot of it is mindset, right? So you got to think the way I was thinking back in, uh, in the, in the 90s when I said, okay, I need to house my business. I need to find a building that works for me, for my business, but I need to find one that not only works for me, but has multiple units in it, even if they're smaller units. And if you house your business in the facility, banks love that. And so it's almost no different. If you're an owner occupant and you occupy 50% or better of that property as an owner occupant, you can go in with a 10% down payment. You can uh, mortgage that. And you don't have need as much outgoing capital and as much of a, of a down payment as you would with a traditional lending as an investment property. Because as an investment property, the banks will look at it and minimum, you're going to need 20 percent down. A lot of times banks, especially when there's stuff like COVID happening, they'll require 30 percent down payment on a property to secure the asset because they're scared as well. And so that takes a lot more upfront capital, which most entrepreneurs, most individuals, they just don't have. And so what I say to them is there's always a deal out there that can be owner financed. And so I love to stress real estate, Jared. It's, it was the way I made myself in real estate. Um, I would go in and look for deals that were distressed because typically they were managed poorly or somebody owned them outright. And you could do an owner finance deal on them. And I love owner finance deals because you can go in and negotiate your terms. Explain what an owner finances uh, deal is for, for people listening. Sure. So an owner finance deal is, a, is, a, is somebody who owns a property that'll do the financing for you in-house. So you don't have to go to a bank, an institution. You don't have to go to a hard money lender. You don't have to go to a third party financial institution for lending. It's when somebody who actually owns the property will finance that property on your behalf. And so they become the bank. And so what you do is you go through the same type of closing that you would with any traditional property through an attorney or, a, or a, an escrow company. And then you set it up with, a, with an escrow company and you pay the escrow company the mortgage payments so that that way the property is secured as an asset. And that way they can't re, renegotiate halfway through the deal and decide not to sell it to you. You're, you're protected legally, but they become the bank. You pay the escrow company, the escrow company pays them. And, um, and then you put terms in place, um, you know, where you say, OK, well, you, they'll finance it for five years based on a 30 year amortization schedule or 20 year amortization schedule. And then they do a five year call. And I like those because what that does is it motivates me to get the building stabilized financially. So if I buy it on an owner finance deal, they don't have to check my credit. One, I can go in and I can negotiate the terms. So if I, if I need to go in with a smaller down payment, in the property needs to be cash producing a bank typically won't finance it for you anyways so if they own or finance it for you and the property has no income yet you can go in get your business established there you can go in remodel the the tenants units get them occupied and leased and then two years down the road when you have you can show two years of rental income your business is stabilized there you can go to a traditional financial institution and refinance with a better mortgage rate and then you probably have more equity in the property as well. So maybe you went in with a 5% down payment when you initially bought it, dumped a little money that you would have normally dumped into a down payment on the property. You dumped into renovations. 
two years down the road, now you have income. Now the property that you once purchased for two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand is now worth half a million. You go to the bank. The bank says, "Okay, we're going to give you a loan based on seventy-five percent loan to value." Here's what the appraisal is, and now because it appraised at five hundred thousand dollars, you have to, you have no money out of pocket additional except for closing fees, and sometimes they'll even roll that into the note. You get a better interest payment, and now the property stabilized, and now you just service it at a at a five percent mortgage, four and a half percent mortgage. You bring your mortgage down uh, payments down because typically. Owner financing interest rates are typically a little higher, maybe 6%, 7%, even 8% is not abnormal for owner financing, but it allows you to go in, purchase the property for a more inexpensive price, allows you time to stabilize it, and allows you to be able to go and lease it, and then you can refinance it down the road without any type of, uh, of uh liabilities or any type of early payoff penalties, mm-hmm. um, and you can go in and you have an asset now. That's cash producing, and that's how I started. Awesome. So I know that's a lot to bite off. Oh, that's that's great. Rewatch it, and um, and at least it introduces them to the process mentally. Absolutely. So you know, you being a self-employed, and you started again in the fitness industry. What do you? What kind of problems and struggles do you see? You know, younger entrepreneurs um, when trying to trying to to purchase a home or trying to qualify for a house, and then what are kind of some of the solutions that you would help them with, whether it's you know, uh, being very creative on their taxes or obviously keeping a higher credit report, all those kind of things. So what are some some solutions to those problems that you see and, you know, when you talk to these entrepreneurs? So most entrepreneurs want to go into real estate full time. I'll tell you mm-hmm. that I never considered myself a full time real estate guy. I've always had a business supporting my real estate. Um, it's real important, you know, that people, if they have a job, and even if they hate the job that they're doing, if they have cash flow from it, stay at your job. That's one of the first things. If you're an entrepreneur and you're doing something different than real estate, uh, whether it's flipping homes, and that's maybe your full-time business, or wholesaling, and that maybe that's your full-time business, um, stay there for a little bit, you know, because I'll tell you that there is a roller coaster to ride in real estate, um, as we all know. We're, we're going to see it now in the commercial sector. Um, it's going to get hit hard with COVID. There's going to be a lot of empty buildings out there that are available, but where there's empty real estate brings opportunity to new investors, you know, to find ways to stabilize it, get it very inexpensive. Um, so keeping your credit good is super important because, Jared, you're, there's going to be times where people come into deals. They have to get less than desirable terms to get into the deal, and they're going to want to refinance. If you compromise your credit, you won't, don't have the ability to do that. Uh, one mistake I see a lot of entrepreneurs doing is that they go in and they don't file enough taxes. They don't pay themselves enough income because they, uh, they're they running their business. They think it's advantageous to write all everything off. They don't have enough cash flow. And it's 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 good on the initial time in theory, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. don't have to pay taxes. But it's bad in your ability to grow. And it's the biggest, biggest mistake most entrepreneurs make is they keep their cash flow too low. And so, look, if you're not making, I've always said, if you're not making six figures and you're not paying yourself six figures as, a, as an entrepreneur, you're screwing yourself. You're putting yourself in a very compromising position because it's limiting your ability to grow financially. The banks don't want to look at you. You scare the banks, the financial institutions, um, and you're not, you don't show enough cash flow to allow your books to grow. So my theory is pay your taxes, write off everything you can, but pay your taxes in a fair market value where you show a legitimate income. And go out and grow as a business because if you're making a shitload of money and you're paying a shitload of taxes, who freaking cares? 
just make a lot of money, pay a lot of taxes, and continue to grow, keep making more money, paying more taxes, and as you grow, it's going gonna, it's gonna to build. And you'll have plenty of write-offs. Believe you me, you're going to be looking for stuff to write off at that point in time. But when you're first starting out, pay yourself an income, keep your credit good. And even if your credit's bad, fix it. There's ways to fix it. I got contacts. I got a good friend named Brandon Elliott. That's all he does. He, he spoke at some of my conferences. And I got some other friends. That's what they do full time. And they'll, they'll help you clean up your credit to allow you to go out and build your portfolio if that's what you need to do. But always keep it clean. Always do things right. File your taxes, pay your taxes so you can grow and build. Absolutely. I learned that lesson the hard way. So, you know, being an entrepreneur, I, I try to write off every single possible thing that I that I can. And yeah, at the end of the year, my taxes are really low. But at the same time, there's no banks that are just going to be able to, you know, want to lend me money because it sh I show that I make 15000 a year when, of course, they're not going to be, you know, want to lend that to me um, lend for, for buying a house. And that's that's screwed me over. I don't know how many times. And I finally learned my lesson with that for sure. Yep. Yeah. And so for those people that are going through that now, uh -huh. just listen through our experience. Because yes. Yes. It's advantageous. Just pay your taxes, get it done and make it happen. You know, for sure. Talking about like debt to income ratio, what is the. I guess the optimal debt to income ratio when someone is purchasing a house. So, I mean, banks for? want a 50% debt to income ratio. You know, okay. I, I always tell people being liquid is king. You know, I, uh, being, cash isn't king. Being liquid is king. I, um, I know that we've hindered our ability to growing to a, an exponential level early years, um, especially after the, re the recession, because we paid a lot of properties off. But I'll tell you, like, even coming into COVID, um, there was times that I sat back and said, okay, should I have used that capital to buy more real estate? And then when COVID hit, I sat back and scratched my head and said, you know, shit, all my stuff's paid off. We have no debt, you know, no personal debt. Um, the business debt that we have is minimal. Um, we've always went in with a great debt to income ratio on all our properties. So even some of the apartments that we owned, we had, um, you know, we had like 40% equity in them already. And so the cash flow, so even if we lost 10% of our tenants, who cares? The cash flow, right? So, you know, I always say if you can live, we, we did, my wife and I did this when we were in our 20s, our late 20s. I told her I've went through so much ups and downs. Um, I don't want to ever be in a position where I have to figure out a way to live. I knew that if, if I went through ups and downs in business and I had to go get a job, I wanted to create a lifestyle where I could live on $4,000 a month, right? And what I meant by that is not $4,000 a month, including travel and all the fun stuff, just house payment, car payment, and the necessities. And so I lived in the same 2,600 square foot house for 18 years. You know, we bought it, it um, I renovated the whole thing. I made it my home. We had an acre of land. Um, it was a four bedroom house. And, um, and I'll tell you that it was a good place to be because we never over leveraged ourselves. We never got into expensive car payments. When we got into car, we always bought our cars cash. Um, and so we always stayed modest on stuff. And when you're in real estate, that's important. We never carried a lot of personal debt. Our debt was always business debt. Now we did over leverage ourselves pre-recession um, on commercial properties. And when we were developing and we got stuck in a lot of that stuff when the recession hit. And so at that time is when we said, okay, it's time to pay some of this stuff down. It's uh, time to stop taking that big of a risk where we only had 10% uh, loan to value on properties. Um, let's go 30% loan to value or at least 25% uh, loan to value and uh, just really stabilize our income. Awesome. And so I know you made a video about this the other day and I thought it was super interesting is the differences between good debt and bad debt. 
to most people, obviously, debt is just this has this negative connotation. And of course, you, you're owing money. But what yeah. are the differences between good and bad debt? So tomorrow I'm signing, um, signing a lot of good debt. Um, we close on two warehouse properties tomorrow. Um, probably a couple million. I think we were financing about two million dollars between two different properties. One's a real small warehouse that we bought for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, eight thousand square feet um, down the street from this bigger one. That's why we bought the smaller one. Uh, we typically don't acquire small stuff like that as much anymore. But because we just acquired a thirty eight thousand square foot uh, freezer warehouse building um, right down the road, we end up buying both. And I'll tell you that. Bad debt is debt that you acquire when you're buying things that you want, not things that you need, like a big car, you know, a fancy car, a big house, stupid debt. It's bad debt. You know, so it goes back to exactly what I was just talking about. I've always kept our personal debt low. What I mean by personal debt is the stuff that you buy that you feel you want to show off with to other people that you feel you need because you want it, but you don't necessarily need it to make money. Um, like my mom always told me, Jared. People who went off for five seconds and then they go off to their own problems. So if you're buying stuff to compare to compete with the Joneses, it's bad debt. You know, cars are the worst investment you can buy. Um, they're just bad debt. Um, you know, that stuff. Let your cash flow later buy you nice cars and stuff like that. Build your base first. Um, don't go out and mortgage yourself to the hill and it hinders you and then allowing it to hinder your ability to grow in real estate. Go in and get good debt. Good debt being the real estate that's income producing. And that's why I'm an advocate for multi-unit real estate because anytime I have multi-unit real estate, I know that the real estate will pay for itself. And so any debt that has cash flow is good debt. And so when you go in and you purchase something that has tenants in it that produces cash for you day in, day out, day in, day out, um, because every month that passes, you get checks at the beginning of that month and it cash flows for you, that's good debt. You know, so if I sign a, a a contract for a two million dollar loan, but I'm going to make I'm going to make that two million dollars back over the course of the next two years, three years, and it's going to pay for me. It's going to pay for my asset for me on my behalf, and it's good debt. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. We uh, we I had a friend come to me one time about twelve years ago. He said Frito Lay is um, looking for a facility in Santa Fe. Will you help me? find a place that they will lease. And I said, why don't they just buy something? And they go, it's not, doesn't fit their business model. So then 24 hours goes by, I call them back up and I said, Ray, look, if I purchased a building myself and leased it to them, would they do a seamless lease for me for 10 years? And we just make it seamless. And he said, yeah, they probably would. So instead of going out and, and finding them a building to lease, I went in and found a building that I could buy, that I could lease to them, and I did everything simultaneously the same day on closing. I saw, we signed the lease. I closed on the building. I bought a building from, um, from Swanson Foods. It was a freezer building. We had a company out of Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin come down, dismantle all the freezers. We did a 10-year lease. I did a 10-year mortgage. I, made, I landed up having to pay property taxes on the building, but over the course of 10 years, they paid the property off for me, and I landed up paying about $3,500 a year in, in uh, property taxes. 10 years later, That's the building was And then, genius. And then – Another 10-year lease just got facilitated, and it's all cash flow, income-producing real estate, and I still own the asset. Does that make sense? Yes. That's good debt. That is good debt. That's smart debt. That's good debt. Man. Awesome. Man, so thankful for your time, man. That was, that was great. Um, so for people who are kind of interested in you know, connecting with you, if they have any more questions for you, how can they get a hold of you? 
You know, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Jerome Maldonado. All my photos are the same. Go to Instagram, it's Jerome Maldonado and the number one. Um, you can hit us up on Messenger, DM us. Um, we're, uh, we're easy to get a hold of on LinkedIn. So any of the social media platforms, Instagram, awesome. Facebook, and uh, just look for Jerome Maldonado. And you'll know it's me because at the end of every session, I always talk about how you go out and when you implement the teachings that we're that we've lived for the last 25 years, you'll go out and you can compound your success. And you'll always find that on any of our social media platforms. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time, man. I'll be I'll be connecting with you soon for sure. Jared, thank you. Appreciate you taking the time and having me on your podcast and anything that we can do for you, your viewers or anybody else, you let us know and we're here for you. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you, dude. We'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jerome. All right. Bye-bye.